Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early, so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts, so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Hi, folks. Welcome to another episode of Film Study. This is Ken McCusick, and we're here to continue our set of positional reviews, moving on to the safety position. And this is the third or fourth episode right now already, so please go back and, uh, and download some of those others. Joining me for the safety position is Josh Reed. Josh, how you doing? I'm doing great, Ken. Uh, great. Uh, thanks for having me. Living the life out there in Anchorage, Alaska, as always. We're doing our usual same bat time, recording time of 2.05 a.m. here. Uh, sometimes we can't go, go quite that early because, uh, uh, you know, kids got to get to sleep and whatnot. You, in in winter, is it easier to put kids to sleep out there? Um, I mean, it really, it really, I mean, because the sun goes down a little bit earlier. So they're like, oh, it's nighttime now. I'm like, yep, time to get ready, get ready to go to bed. Um, so, I mean, it depends on what we have to do on a given day. Like uh, sometimes if we have a, a family engagement, it runs a little late. And sometimes we, we try to get them in the bed by, by 8.30 um, every night. But, you know, it, it, can, it fluctuates from time to time. Very good. Okay, so let's talk about the safety position a little bit for the Baltimore Ravens. Uh, a position where, despite the fact they got some great play out of the position, I think, they had some significant health issues that kept them from one of their primary strategies was to get Hamilton in at slot corner. We're definitely going to take some time on that. Hamilton's including the safeties. The cornerback show already happened, didn't have Hamilton in it. But they really had health issues with all their players missing a little bit of time at some point. Geno Stone missed a little time. Uh, Marcus Williams uh, missed some time with a pec injury and had other times where he's on the field where he just wasn't as efficient as normally. Uh, Hamilton missed some time himself, of course. And also Daryl Worley, who'd been effective playing the back end uh, you know, on an as-needed basis, um, missed some time as well, and that that ended up hurting the team. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, health really was really the really hampered disposition. Um, you know, like th- thankfully Gino stepped up in the way that he did, the way that he did when, when Marcus went down. I mean, we saw we got a little glimpse of what he could do last year, but he took he took his his play even a step further this year and really really provided that playmaking playmaking ability there in the back end for the Ravens. But yeah, health was still a, a detriment to this to this unit overall all season. 
Yeah. Out, outstanding uh, coverage here, obviously, from Stone. We'll get to that. Hamilton, really the big moving piece on this defense as a whole. Roquan, a, a, a incredibly important central figure to what's going on. Obviously, Patrick Queen played well. Manabike played well. But Hamilton's ability to come up and play slot corner was one of the big um, – unique elements of this defense there's not another horizontal defender in the entire nfl like hamilton and uh he did a great job of taking away the strong side of the field yeah as much as people want to com- compare him to derwin james to me he's yeah next he's what derwin james should have been i mean what yeah. derwin james was on track to be early in his career is where kyle hamilton already is right now and uh, it's just it's beautiful to see and it's it's all it's it's so tantalizing that, like, man, this guy is still kind of scratching the surface of what he can be. This guy, is, here's a guy still in his early 20s and still kind of figuring out where where he fits into this this whole thing with what's his perfect role. And I feel like the, the better depth and health that the Ravens have, the more he can be unlocked even more. Yeah, Hamilton doesn't turn 23 until next month. So uh, he's still got hopefully some growth to do. Now, you always have to be careful about that when a player has an all-pro season. Um, early in his career, it doesn't necessarily mean he's ever going to have a season as good again. Uh, and, and in Hamilton's case, that might be the case. He doesn't really need to be as good as he was this year to still be, you know, potentially a Hall of Famer at some point. Uh, were he to continue on a level that was 85% of what he did this year, probably. But uh, I would agree on the Derwin James comment. James was an all pro as a rookie. Uh, so he was very special in that regard, but injuries kind of uh, slowed him down a little bit. Um, and he, he probably fits the the description of a player who dropped to about 80 or 85% of his top value from year one uh, in, in further years. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's like, it's like, it's like that, that, that comp was always like kind of attached to Hamilton yeah. coming out. And for him to already exceed those, exceed what, you know, James did at his, at his peak is pretty impressive. I mean, it, I, I kind of feel bad for James because like I said what he showed as a rookie in his first two years in the league before he's injury started hampering him was, was really special. I mean, it, it's to the point now where he struggles covering and, and, and aging Travis Kelsey. So it's, um, I mean, Kyle Hamilton kind of struggled in that, in that area a little bit and it's a championship game for the most part, he was the tight end neutralizer for most of the season. Yeah, very, very uh, a, a effective player. And uh, even even Kelsey with the with the, you know, what what he did against that. I didn't feel like he had a bad coverage game. Uh, yeah, that day, not a real bad game anyway. Um, just thrilled with him at the slot corner role. And I hope that they they one of the things I'm looking forward to is that is that they'll get an additional safety or two, depending on the departure of Stone, whether or not they decide to keep Worley um, Worley seems to generally fit the role, but they get another another safety who can play the back end, really is a free safety slash split field deep safety primarily, who is someone who uh, can continue to help the Ravens dissuade other teams from throwing deep. Yeah, yeah, somebody who can work in tandem with with um with Marcus Williams back deck. The Stone was really the perfect guy. I just mm-hmm. after after record leading the AFC in interceptions, I highly doubt that he's going to be able to, to be brought back. I think the priority for the Ravens offseason, as far as spending for agents goes, it's just about PK and everybody else. Yep. So I, I doubt that they're going to be able to have you'll be able to scrum together, scrape together the pennies to keep Matabike and Stone or Matabike and Queen. I just think it's going to be Matabike, and then they're going to have to find some some cheaper options elsewhere. Which at the safety position, there's there's plenty of guys that can kind of fill that role. Yeah, it, there are, and the Ravens have proven very adept at finding those guys, including Geno Stone himself in the seventh round. So you know, you look at the at, at various players. Geno now has to be thought of probably as the greatest ever Ravens seventh round pick after this year. Uh, now, the re- the reason that comes with an asterisk is they released him. 
and they, you know, so they kind of lost the value of that draft pick and then they re-signed him. You can't quite claim this year as part of that, you know, initial four-year period when you had to re-sign the guy in order to, and get lucky, frankly, that the Texans made the same mistake you did to get him back. Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if the Ravens not only drafted a safety, but also signed a vet men guy. To me, mm-hmm. to me, to me, you kind of like stockpile that position because because Kyle Hamilton's versatility and freedom within your scheme is the key to elevating the entire defense. So I feel like the more depth you have at safety, even if that means having one less defensive lineman, maybe one less outside linebacker, if you have if you bring back a guy like Harrison who can kind of split time at both of those spots, I think you know like sacrificing depth at one position for further depth at, the, at, at safety in particular will really help bolster this defense, especially with the departure of Mike McDonald. Yeah. I, I, I agree wholeheartedly. We'll get to some of that in the 2024 needs at the end. A few themes from this year. The, the too-high shell was something the Ravens showed opposing quarterbacks right off the bat at the line of scrimmage on an awfully high percentage of plays. Didn't mean they necessarily stayed in that. They played some matchup zone on both sides. They did some rotation of coverages. Did a whole lot of things to, to work away from that. But the fact that they started there meant that – other teams had to get a little creative in terms of getting the ball down the field. It was more difficult for them to do it. They had to have some complex plays to do it. Didn't always work. And I thought the Ravens, you know, their, their trade-off of, you know, making themselves a little more of a tasty bait in the run game, which obviously was more effective against the Ravens this year in terms of yards per, per carry, um, really paid off on the passing side. Yeah, um, and that's that's I, I was talking with Aaron Schatz um a couple of weeks ago. That's really like the the formula to play the successful modern defense. You know, sacrificing a little bit in the in, in as far as it goes run defense. Like if you're averaging, like, oh, it's so uncorrect, uncharacteristic for the Ravens to be giving up this many yards on the run, but. Are they giving up huge plays in the passing game? I mean, we're, we're to the point with the Ravens defense now that it's like when they do give up a big, big play in the passing game, it's either complete miscommunication or such a rarity that you're like, huh, haven't seen that in a while. And that's a, that's a far cry from what we saw towards the tail end of the Martindale age. Yeah, I mean, he was he was gambling for variance, which is also a very legitimate defensive strategy, by the way. Gambling for variance is something teams generally need to do because you the, the offense, if they gain their average yard on every play, will march down the field every 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 drive and score a touchdown on you easily. So you have to generate variance through combination of penalties and snack sacks and, and plays for loss and sequences of incomplete passes. Uh, you need that variance in order to fuel defensive stops. So it's, it's a, uh, uh, it is important and, and pressure is one fastball to have, you know, one number one, you want to want to throw down there. But I thought what, what McDonald actually put together was, was, was certainly more effective um, a, a, you know, in terms of the thing, he also had, I think, more talent to work with, you know, this year, having having interior rusher like Matabike available specifically and, you know, the linebacker duo playing now their top game, whereas Wink dealt with some of the painful Patrick Queen years in terms of the, the, the first two of his career as opposed to getting the, the, the second two of his career. Yeah, yeah. And then also there was, you know, the, that, that, the devastating injuries that the Ravens had in secondary in 2021 when they finished last to pass defense. Well, when you're blitzing your defense into oblivion with, you know, subpar corners like Chris Westry and guys out there and guys that sign off the side of the street, it, it's going to happen. Like, yes, the Ravens were like number one in, in run defense that year. That's because everybody knew they could pass 
to the, against the Ravens that year. So I, you know, I kind of felt bad to Martin to you know for Martin Dale in that sense, like he didn't have the guys to do that. But when you don't have the guys, which is what I appreciate so much about Mike McDonald's, when he doesn't have the guys, he fits his scheme for his personnel. If I don't have the guys to hold up in man coverage or or, or match zone or anything like that, I'm not going to put them in those compromising positions. And that's what I really appreciate about about Martin about uh, about McDonald and what I know that Zach Orr will continue to do in this next regime. I hope you're right about that. I, I'm, you know, I, I don't think we really know who Zach Orr is at this point, and and I hope that the organizational memory is maintained the way that Monken still maintained concepts of the Ravens' run game from the Roman era, because there were there was good stuff in there. I mean, you know, no matter what you think of of Greg Roman, a lot of things about the Ravens' run game really work because they mesh well with who Lamar Jackson is. So keeping read options in there, keeping some use of Ricard in there when you want to put away a game. Very, very helpful. Now, I'm not saying Monken didn't add also to the offense by adding passing game elements, but I hope with with Orr, um, I think there are things that will stay the same, like the committed nickel defense I think is likely to be his first choice as opposed to going to dime. But uh, I, I think you know a lot of it also is going to depend on, on who Trent Sim- Trenton Simpson is, and I don't think we know that either yet. So I know there's people willing to make judgments about that. I'm just not willing to do it at this point. We, we've, you know, we saw he was at Clemson. We had a sh- you know a, a brief look at a nice flash set of plays versus Pittsburgh in Week 18, but basically we don't know anything about Trenton Simpson at this point. Yeah, yeah, and that's he's going to be one of the guys that you know is going to be a I wouldn't say a hot button topic for this offseason, but somebody to watch. That's like all right, if yeah. this guy makes the next step, then you know, I, thankfully he has a guy like Roquan Smith next to him who can really ele- I mean, not only does he elevate the entire defense, but especially the guy next to him um, on on every given play. And we saw the leap. I mean, Patrick will he? So I want to give Patrick King some credit because a lot of people were saying that oh, once Roquan. Roquan came, then he took off. He was already starting to ascend before Roquan came. Fair and then enough. Once, yeah. yeah, then once they came together, then he went to an even higher level. So when you have when you have that guy next to him. Yeah, that's fair. I'm I'm separating years one and two where he was certifiably not very good. Versus yeah, I was talking about four. Where yeah, I was talking three. about like uh, prior to the trade that season, the 2022 season, he was already sure. like, 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 you know, up an upper trajectory. And then Roquan just kind of put kerosene on his development there. Yeah, I completely agree with that. So, uh, uh, you know, one of the things about this team that I think makes them a little different is that I think this is a team that really needs to have two or three safeties that are comfortable playing high and with rotational coverages. That's not something everybody is going to be good at. I think there, you know, a lot of traditional strong safety types uh, who are who are more run fit players. Tony Jefferson really fits this role, I think. Um, you know, wouldn't be as good playing this. And, and you know, one guy who might be available, I like to come back to him at the end, is is Chuck Clark, I think, would be ideal for a back-end um, pairing with Williams if he's going to play primarily free safety and he can also maybe come up and play dime for you on some snaps if that's what you end up needing based on who Simpson is. Yeah, yeah, that, that's that, that. I saw that in, in the show notes. And that's, that, to me, like, he was, he'd be the perfect guy to bring back. But my question is, would he want to come back or would he want to, like I said, like try to maybe on he wouldn't I don't think he'd follow McDonald just because the, the Seahawks safety safety uh safety group is pretty deep right there. Um, you know, pending Jamal Adams either release or 
a full-time move to, to linebacker. But I think even reading up with a team like the Jets, who are still have suspect safety depth, I think he will be more preferable to him to come back to the Ravens. But I would love him back on the Ravens because I feel like he, like like you were saying, he fit that role to a T. And um, I, 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 he wouldn't have, I don't, he doesn't have the same ball skills as a, as a guy like Geno Stone who we'll get, in, get into. But I just think his presence and ability to be that guy who's comfortable playing in the back end, not just in the box, would make him a perfect fit to, for a reunion there. So the the Jets released him, right? His his deal wasn't over. They the Jets have released him and made him a free agent, right? If I recall correctly. Well, you, you talking about for for Clark? For Clark, yeah. I, no, I think he, I th- he, he was on. He, he just got placed on IR. He was on their team the entire entire season rehabbing. Okay. Yeah, he just. So he was he hurt. in the last year of his initial contract that he signed with the Ravens? And yes. He never had been re-opted. Okay. Yeah. So correct. This this will be a tough season for Clark because he's going to have to just, he's going to have to gauge his own value across the NFL. And kind of figure that out. And unfortunately, given the injury history, I don't think it's going to be that high. So he may be talking vet men, vet men, plus some fairly minimal incentives, probably. But I don't think he makes over two and a half million dollars this year. Yeah, that's why I feel like either he's going. I feel like either he's going to stay put with New York because they know him and he's been working with them and familiar their system, or you know, like I. I I feel like he would be humble enough to come back to the Ravens if that was like his best option. Like, I, depending yeah. on what the what, what the Jets do between now, free agency, and the draft, I think he's a, he's a guy that's probably not going to get signed right away. He's probably going to be a third, fourth wave guy, or maybe a guy who kind of waits for an injury in, in training camp. But I feel like if he wants to be in somebody's camp, and he, he's probably going to be like some one of those post post uh, post draft uh, signings that a team might pick up after they after they try to address their position in the draft and in free agency. Yep, completely agree. I think that's that's the way that plays out, and I, I I do think he'd be a good fit for the Ravens. But in any case, Worley, Hamilton, Williams, and Stone all met the back end condition. They should should have they should be able to have two Worley and Williams return, allowing Hamilton to play that slot corner role on an as desired basis. They may want Hamilton on the back end for some plays, base coverage, for example. They probably want Hamilton in the back end, but. You know, you play nickel most of the time, some form of the nickel, over 80% for the Ravens this last year. So I think it's it's likely that they will, you know, want to have a total of four safeties, including Hamilton, who they're comfortable with any two of them playing on the back end. And and that's where I, I hope this team figures is able to figure that out and and really doesn't look primarily for a strong safety type first. All right. Well, let's get let's get into. Yeah, it. I love Worley in that in that in that role. Yeah, yeah, I was just saying I love Worley in that role. If he can stay healthy and, and, and fill that role, and then like so he's going to be one of those vet men guys. That I mean that that'd be excellent. I mean the key to him is just the health because sometimes when corners make the transition to safety, it's not for everybody. You know, like Darrell yeah. Darrell Reeves couldn't really do it. Champ Bailey couldn't really do it. And those are like two of the best of all time. If those guys struggle making that transition, you know, like like like. like you know, thank thank God that Darrell Worley's kind of made that natural transition. Started the off season, and he made it pretty pretty naturally, and it looked, looked pretty good. Yeah, we'll talk about that. We'll talk about Daryl specifically in, in a little bit here. But uh, Worley has had a little bit of time, I believe, previously at safety in his career. In fact, I think he came into the league with Carolina originally, and he'd run a really slow forty, like too slow of a forty to play corner, and yet. He, I think he started at safety for Carolina. Then they may have needed him at corner, and he played there, and then he stayed there because you know he's got really good length. Uh, probably a little better at diagnosing things, reading leverage at the at the top of the route, um, but but still not ideal in terms of the general skill set. And it's very okay. nice to see him move right back in. 
Yeah, so I got his pro football reference page up. So he played right cornerback in 2016, right right cornerback in 2017, left cornerback in 2018, left cornerback in 2019. And then from 2020 till now, he's just been classified as DB. Okay. All right. So so then that would, that would say there wasn't, because I know on his wiki page, and I can go back to the detailed positions if I look back in his career earlier. So looking back at 2016 with detailed positions on PFF, uh no, he's got 752 wide corner snaps. So I'm I'm uh I'm not right on that. He had 67 in the box, 18 at free safety. So he, he there may have been talk about him doing any he just never did. And he's made that transition late in career as as I guess is more typical. Appreciate that uh uh going back on that though. Well, let's let's talk about really you know, in a lot of places, this the second centerpiece of the Ravens um, uh, safety group and the guy they've spent all the money on so far is Marcus Williams. Uh, really disappointing that he had a pec injury uh, this season. Really, I don't know if it's going to require or maybe even if, if it did require offseason surgery, it wouldn't surprise me if he's already had it. Yes, yeah, so just John Harbaugh was asked about that at the season ending presser last week, and he said he's not going to require surgery. Because, like, so his, his – Based on what the, on the reporting and what what Howard Harbaugh said, his was kind of like a severe strain. It was like borderline borderline mm-hmm. tear, but it didn't actually actually tear. So those are one of those things that it can heal with time. You can have mild discomfort and limited range of motion, or you could have it surgically repaired. And then you know, but he opted to you know to have have it heal. So it's one of those things where he's he'll, he'll be he'll be full go um uh, come come off season off season workout. So um that, that that'll be good. But yeah, this Marcus man, I mean just. I, I hate when when players that had no injury prior injury history come to Baltimore and all of a sudden they're labeled as injury prone. You know it happened with him. It's happened with Rashad Bateman. Now you know guys who have never never struggled with that kind of stuff and now all of a sudden if it's if it's not a Liz Frank or a Peck, it's a soft tissue thing. And even even when Marcus Harden came back and started to you know play like himself a little bit, still somewhat limited with that arm. Then he had the hamstring thing, and it, 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 it just like every every time this guy gets close to turning a corner and looking like his old self, um, it's just like. Something else pops up, and it was it was nice to see him kind of turn the corner a little bit towards the end of the season, get that pick against the 49ers, and really start looking like his old self again. Yeah, definitely had some had some positive plays later in the year, but is tackling very poor. And honestly, it showed up in some of his early games back in particular, where he's just kind of hurting ball carriers towards the sideline. It does here's what's really funny: it doesn't really show up in his missed tackle rate too much. So he had a 12.1% missed tackle rate. We're going to come back to that on some of the other safeties, but Hamilton actually had 12.2% for the year. So uh, he had a lower missed tackle rate than Hamilton, but no one in, no one on earth would say that, that Marcus Williams is a better tackler than, than Kyle Hamilton is. Uh, it's, it's really a, a lie based on positioning and uh, directing ball carriers out of bounds instead of kind of, kind of hitting them and, and taking them to the ground. Uh, Ham, uh, Marcus Williams for a lot of the year waited for, to have help to make a tackle. Uh, and, and, you know, it's, it's an unfortunate season. Marcus Williams is a better football player than that. Obviously this is not reflective of, of uh, who we expect him to be going forward. I think he's still very effective reading the quarterback. And I thought we saw a fair amount of that this year still. Yeah, he was aptly called the one-armed man for most of this season. Cause he was playing out there with, with, with one arm and um, like I said, just to, like what when you can't what you lack for and like I guess health and, and full range of motion, you can always make up for with instincts and knowing where to be and, and, and reading leverage and reading the quarterback's eyes, which he did beautifully a lot of times. A lot of those a lot of those clutch pass breakups that he had, despite being limited with one arm, that was just him 
like I said, reading the quarterback's eyes and having those instincts. It's because you're not calling in picks doesn't mean you're not still a ball hawk. And he proved his va- his, his value, especially there down the stretch. And it's kind of it's kind of messed up that his best tackle of the season, which came in the end of the first half of that Jaguars game, ended up being the same tackle he had his hamstring on. So it's just like you know this guy just happens like, even when he makes a good play, this guy can't win for losing. Okay, that was the inbounds tackle that ran yep. out the half at the end. Of it. That was a wonderful play. It really was. Yeah, he, a, he didn't. He didn't come back in the game after that. Uh, you know, one of the nice things to see is that I don't feel like Williams has lost his dark cloud. I don't mean like a dark cloud is following him like Charlie Brown. I mean, he, his area on the field is like a dark cloud you're throwing to if you're a quarterback. He's still a scary guy uh, to opposing quarterbacks because they know he'll, he'll read the ball. He'll move pretty quickly. And you got to watch him on the front side of a play. So if you're, if you're throwing on a, on a, on a crossing play where there's a trailer, you have two two people who could to, on a deep cross who, who could impact the play. One is Marcus Williams coming up and closing the window. Number two, and this is also very very severe, is a linebacker closing the window. And the guys on the other side, as you've heard me say on this show many times, are are guys who the window closes a lot more quickly than the relative speed of the receiver and the trailing coverage, which is often what the quarterback is micro-focused on. He needs to get it by that trailing coverage, but the but the window is closing very, very quickly in a relative sense on the from the other side. All right. Um, let's see what else we want to talk about here. Um, opposing passer rating in 2023, 112.2 against Marcus Williams. Um, that's way up. It's 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 fewer uh, total attempts, but a forty one point nine in two thousand twenty two. I don't know that Ravens fans really appreciated how great Marcus Williams was on a per snap basis in his first year with the Ravens. Great, great player, and and you know certainly they the, they probably think back to it and they think, boy, he was hurt a lot or, or you know something like that. But he played a fair amount of snaps last year, and he and he played unbelievably great football when he did. Yeah, I mean, you just look at the the games he played. Like, like the, the, the people get so caught up in the interceptions, but more so than interceptions was the ground that he covered, the throws that he took away, and like, like the, not just like like people get so caught up with, with the plays he made on the ball, but it's the plays that he discouraged opposing quarterbacks from trying to make is where he really bought uh, uh, his, his value in, in my in my eyes. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, a guy who uh, did not get targeted a whole lot. Um, in 2000, in fact, in 2023, he was targeted 24 times, which is ridiculously little. He's targeted 21 times in 637 snaps the year before. So, uh, both ridiculously low totals. He's under six yards per target in 2022. Uh, I don't have that number for 23, but I could look that up if we need to. Um, needs to play the full season, obviously. Uh, do you have any reason to believe that what happened this year, particularly in terms of the 112, is it anything but injury related? Would you expect a full recovery from Williams for 2024? I know you're a positive guy, but put up, try and put on your your uh, realist hat as much as you can. Um, yeah, I mean, it's like you know, I me, mean, I'm always on the on the side of optimism. I just feel like, you know, like 
you can only go so wrong. It's not like this guy has been suffering debilitating injuries. The kind of stuff that he's been he's been suffering that's been ailing him have been kind of fluky things, things that that you know that won't take don't necessarily require surgery or like you know debilitating surgery. You're going to lose muscle mass or speed or burst or anything like that. These are just these are just things that kind of restrict him from all the upper body stuff. So thankfully, like you know, nothing that has been like a, a, a knee sprain or anything like that. Um, I, I I I am more confident that he's going to be more healthier this year and I, I think he's going to take the the proper proper precaution i mean you, can, you can't really always protect against injuries it's football it's a violent game fast game things happen things get pulled you know you, you could get you, you pull something just try to tackle somebody from from behind or whatever um but i am i am more i am more confident that he will be healthier this year um especially just you know given that you know it's like gino is probably going to be gone uh, most likely going to be gone and he's going to kind of feel that additional pressure to ensure that he's you know available for this team because they don't have that gino's Gino Stone, ace in, ace in the hole that they've had the past two years. Yeah, he's he he certainly was great whenever he had to he had to step in there for Marcus. It was he was a huge uh, benefit there. I'm I'm with you. I basically think he'll he'll recover. And the fact that it hasn't been no, there's no Liz Frank. There's no uh, severe knee injuries or anything else that, that that should really take a bite out of what he still has left in terms of speed. I think I think he's likely to be fine. His instincts will still be what we've seen them to be. And he should he should be I think featured in a sense in this defense. I still think the Ravens have a good chance to to be uh, preventing other teams from throwing deep very often. Um, but fe- he'll be featured in the sense that because he's one of the one of half of the two high shell that they start with, that it's a lot of the fear that he generates is the is what's creating the the lack of deep throws. All right, let's go on and move on. Move on talk about Kyle Hamilton a little bit. All, all pro one in his second year. Uh, it's a great place to be, obviously. Uh, his play on the back end was good. There's nothing wrong with what he did on the back end, but his play at slot corner is just unbelievably impactful to the game of football. Yeah, I mean, as, as much as much as like you know, like Roquan Smith is you know the heartbeat and the leader and the you know unquestionable leader face of this defense. I mean, to me, Kyle Hamilton was the catalyst for all their success, like at at, at the highest level as far as what they're able to do on down to down basis, especially when they when he's not pigeonholed into just playing safety and when he's able to play that that play that that a hybrid slot slot corner role. There's nobody in the game that's, that's better, more impactful than him um, as a blitzer, as the as a, as a coverage person, both at the immediate and deep down. Field. I mean, the fact that this guy uh, you know, was was covering like, speedy receivers, not just big body guys, speedy, squirrely slot guys deep down the field, like that play out against uh, against against Guyton for 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 the Chargers. Beautiful, you know, the play, the play, even the play he had in, in the Chiefs where he was, he was underneath uh, MVS. I mean, the fact that you can have a guy that's that big, it's like a freaking condor out there. He covers so much ground, can do so many things for you. I mean, it, it, it I couldn't imagine a, a better way for his talents to be deployed than the way McDonald deployed them over this first two years of his career. I look forward to what he's going to do in the future. Oh, I mean, I, I guess I'd say I can see a better way that his talents can be deployed if he could play even more nickel and they weren't forced to use him as a, um, as a deep safety more often and the Ravens could really migrate more away from having a traditional kind of a slot corner there. Cause well, yeah, yeah. That's what I meant. Like yeah. just like that, that, that specific role for him, I couldn't imagine a better role for him. Ah, great. Okay. Uh, a few coverage stats from a 40, 47.6 opposing passer rating one touchdown, four interceptions is all in the regular season, 4.2 yards per target. Uh, 
we're going to remember this season for a lot of reasons in terms of, of who Hamilton was, who the defense was in general. But the spectacular individual plays that I think I'll remember, one is – give me one of yours too, but but the the he planned, the designed pick six that they had against the Browns is just one of the coolest plays I've ever seen in terms of him coming from three or four yards off the line of scrimmage, racing in, knowing exactly where he is in the point, leaping high, tipping the ball to himself like he's a power forward or, you know, getting his own rebound, whatever you want to call it, and then taking it in as easily as you'll ever see a pick six return. Yeah, that's the first play that comes to my mind, too. And just like, and what many of you read, it was like the, the sl- Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards tell them to oppose the durbin marshall credit card bill what's the easiest choice you can make window instead of middle seat picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket outsourcing business tasks you hate what about selling with shopify whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for two forty nine dollars a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Slow motion walking, he did it to the end yeah. zone, which is the fact that the Ravens didn't win that game. Like, to me, that's a Kyle Hamilton legacy game right there. And it's like all for naught because they let uh, let Sean Watson go 14-14 in the second half. And I think that, that just kind of, kind of pisses me off. But, like, plays like that, I, I honestly thought he was going to do something similar in the AFC Championship game. But Patrick Mahomes was able to just get the ball over his head um, to, to Kelsey on, I think it was yep. like the 14-1. And I was like, man, if Kyle were to just, like, you know, time to jump a little bit better, maybe he might have been able to get that ball. And he wouldn't he wouldn't have he, – he wouldn't have been able to walk slow walk it in. But if he could have got his hands on that ball and went the other way, would have completely turned that game on its head. But, yep. you know, Patrick Mahomes and Deshaun Watson are two different kind of beasts. Yeah, that was a. Uh, it was definitely. Mahomes was very aware on that play, and and it, he was almost set up too early on it. You know, he was in the in the line with uh, on Watson. He got to the point. He had it really. It was really very well timed up in terms of how many yards off the line of scrimmage he was. You know, they left the bait out there because Njoku was was wide open on the left side. Watson just couldn't resist it, and uh, he wanted to get it out there quickly because hey, you want to give Njoku some some opportunity with the ball in his hands, of course. And then uh, what do you know? 
So I, the other one that, that, that I'm going to remember from this season, I, I don't think I'll ever forget this play. This is the one he's got to show his grandkids is getting chop blocked on the play by the 49ers. Yeah. Having a lineman, a guard fall on top of him. Play goes on. Guard gets former teammate. Yeah. <laughs> it's one of his former teammates at Notre Dame. Really? Okay. Didn't know that. Okay. Got up anyway. And, and, uh, uh, runs back into level two, and again, it's a deflection off Humphrey, and he's there to pick up the loose change and and uh, intercept the football. Just an unbelievable play. Yeah, um, some other plays I, I love from Kyle Hamilton. It's just like how how quick, how consistently and regularly and violently he blew up screens. And like, yeah. like like he was he, the dude was the screen killer this year. I mean, the way not, they, not only did he did he get off blocks, but he would actually. Block them into the into the play. He blocked the play by using his guys' leverage against them, and he blocked the blocking receiver. The receiver supposed to be blocking him into the ball, into the the intended receiver. And just as many, like, even if it, they weren't, didn't always necessarily end in tackles for loss. But the fact that they went for for no gain, or maybe even like limited them to like one or two yards, is, I mean, just spoke volumes to his impact on a down to down basis. Yeah, absolutely. He was absolutely enormous in, in terms of that. And just it takes that away. And you're, you're taking away the deep pass with your two safeties. You're taking away the short pass to the strong side of the field with Hamilton. It's just it's uh, it's a deadly, deadly combination. It does not leave a lot for offenses that want to get the ball out. And, and then, hey, you still got Roquan and Patrick Queen chasing down you know, the running back if you want to go to the other side, for example. All right, let's go. Let's uh, what else we need to talk about for him. Okay, well, the other thing, you know, that that really showed up this year more was 14 pressures on just 37 pass rush attempts. Now, there are a few safeties in the league who were used extensively as pass rushers. So there were guys who had more than 14 pressures, but those guys who had, you know, up to about 25 to 29 pressures kind of thing, they had over 100 uh, pass rush attempts. So it's it's the kind of thing that you know it on a at hits per at bat basis he was I think the number one pass rusher in the entire NFL among safeties but he certainly was outstanding uh, those three sacks in the Colts game in one and a half were all his sacks for the year but I think if they'd have, if they'd have tried it more on some other teams they probably could have made that work too. Yeah, if they were just healthier at that position, I feel like the dude probably could have encroached double digit sacks the way the way he was able to close close on on, on defenders. I mean, like just thinking of all those plays that Arthur Marlette almost had a sack. If that was Kyle Hamilton, would have been a sack. I mean, I'm not I'm not discouraging Marlette, you know, like saying that he didn't do a good job, but some of those drive ending pressures or would have would have been would have been drive ending sacks for for Kyle Hamilton. I believe. Yeah. They got six sacks out of slot corner this year. So including three from Hamilton, two Mollette, and one Ardarius Washington in that in that mm-hmm. first game on Stroud. So that in itself is just to me a, a, a gigantic number. So okay, 12.2% missed tackle rate. I mentioned it was slightly higher than than uh Marcus Williams in this category. Fairly average for for safeties across the whole like uh, whole league, but his what he has to do in terms of opportunity wise is a much harder set of tackles than most safeties have to make. A lot of safeties, they have to make the play on a wide receiver after the the corner has either missed or allowed the reception in a bracket coverage, whatever it might be. But it's a smaller man they're taking down, generally speaking. A, a guy's going to be more susceptible to a tackle. In Hamilton's case, he's often having to shed, beat a block to take down a larger man who might be a tight end in, in, in space, and he might also be a running back who's obviously is going to be more of a tackle-breaking machine. Um uh, on the edge somewhere. And those running backs, they don't just get a slight 
running start on you with the screen pass. They they get a pretty good running start, and that often will end with a uh, uh, you know, or it will involve a missed tackle. And that's where Hamilton did pick up pick up some this year. Yeah, yeah, but yeah, but he he made more tackles than he missed, and that's that that's that's the best thing about it. And I just love seeing his tremendous backside pursuit. I mean, there'll be times where the play will be on the opposite side of the field, but he would just come streaming down the line of scrimmage and uh, gotta get a guy from behind, either behind the line of scrimmage or barely past the line of scrimmage for like one game, two two games, three at the most. You're talking like in the run game, in, in yeah, yeah, in the, yeah, in the run yeah. game, yeah. Yeah, terrific. You know, that was something I really associate always with Ed Reed too. When Ed Reed could crash the line of scrimmage. Anytime he wanted to, and two things he always seemed to do is one is time it up just so nobody was there blocking him. So he he he, he was wonderful at that. And second of all, he just he had an easy twist down of any running back who who happened to run into space constraints. We'll just say as they as they were making it through there. So uh, Hamilton is is certainly in in that class as being remarkably savvy around the line of scrimmage there. Um, uh, you're with me. You want to see him at slot corner instead of it on the deep side, right? Absolutely. All right. So we agree on that one. I think we said enough about it. Let's talk a little bit about Geno Stone. Uh, big breakout year, seven interceptions. It was not a year without flaws, but uh, a terrific coverage year from Geno. Yeah, yeah, and when people when CC is seven interceptions, they think, oh, well, that, that, some of those are probably fluky. Like when you look at the, a lot of the the interceptions that. that players get for the Cowboys. Some of those are just kind of like fluky. A lot of those are just like on out routes. But for, for Gio, I feel like a lot of his came from instincts, le- uh, understanding of leverage, tendencies, and film study. I mean, he was in the right place at the right time so so consistently. And like that doesn't just come from, uh, oh, right place, right time. He lucked into that. No, that's understanding who you're playing tendencies on, on the, on the quarterback. I'm like, okay. I know he tries to get the balls on linebackers. I saw him. He was able to fit this throw in over there in the first quarter. And then, you know, come second, third quarter, then he's like, oh, if I read this right, I'll be in a position to, to corral that overthrow. If, if in fact, you know, like Roquan or PQ gets enough air underneath that, uh, underneath that ball, makes them want to push it even further. So for him, just reading the quarterback's eyes, you know, and picking up on tendencies, not just, leading up to the game through film study, but from, you know, a down a drive to drive basis was really what I kind of picked up on from Gino throughout the year. He certainly is very good at reading the QB and has great instincts. I actually think that film study is one of the lesser impacts of Gino Stone's great breakout season. I think it was mostly about reading the quarterback. And there's one particular play, the interception he had against Cincinnati in the first game, where he basically is closing a window on a, pass that was going to the deep middle ben solak did a great breakdown of that play that's out mm-hmm. there and talking about how basically stone misread the break off the line of scrimmage now misread is a is an interesting word to use there because i don't think he ever looked at the guy who the ex receiver is releasing on the left side and and he said he said in an interview after the game well he, he had an outside release so i knew the cornerback had to have him alone so i was free to go to the inside of the field and look for to look for take the ball away from T Higgins kind of thing. And, you know, the guy released inside. Geno Stone didn't see it, but he didn't see it because he didn't look. He was looking at the quarterback the whole time. And you can see that on the, on the, on the video, which is great. Uh, but anyway, I, I, a terrific instincts player. I, 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 you know, one of the interesting things coming out of this year is I don't really have a great sense of what his market value is around the league. I, I, I you know, it could be he makes, Three years, twelve million. It could be he makes three years, twenty-seven million. You know, uh, on, on this free agent. I, I just, I really do not have a good sense of it. 
Yeah, yeah. I mean, whenever you whenever you put up numbers like he did this year, but the fact that they didn't come with, you know, Pro Bowl honors or even second team All Pro honors, it did like they were kind of just like, oh, you let you let the AFC picks. Okay, that's cool. I think the, I think the lack of accolades might drive his price down a little bit, but I do think there are teams out there to see the value in somebody with those kind of instincts and ball skills who are maybe missing that playmaking element in their secondary, and they would be willing to pay. pay I wouldn't say necessarily a premium, but you know, pay more than the Ravens are willing to pay um, to acquire his services. Yeah, I, I would agree with that, and and I don't know if the, where the Chargers are in terms of their safeties, but I'm sorry, not the Chargers. It'd be the Seahawks, right? If they, if McDonald wanted to keep him there, but it could be it could be the Chargers too. If if you know Jim Harbaugh wanted to bring him out there for for Minter to have as a piece, and I, I don't. I, one of the things that the the Michigan analytics guys, particularly Arjun Menon, who's been on the show before absolutely loves Jesse Minter. He says he's going to be a better defensive coordinator than Mike McDonald, which is that's really saying a lot at this point. Although McDonald may be done as a defensive coordinator. He's just a head coach now. So, yeah, his, his opportunity for accolades as a D.C. are gone. But Jesse Minter, um, he thought, did more with less for Michigan uh, this last season than, than what McDonald had done. Yeah, I mean, but like, but like, like, I, I, I do agree with, I do agree with, I do that to an extent. But I feel like what what McDonald was able to do with guys like Ronald Darby and Brandon Stevens, yes. and and without his starting safeties for you know like this like starting three for most of the season, I think uh, to me was just as impressive, if not even more. Yeah, I, I mean, I agree. I think that that it's he had a lot to work with in general in terms of total talent on this defense. He had good edge rushers. He had you know, a, a great interior passer. Michael Pierce had his best year. was healthy. The whole defensive line was healthy the whole year. I mean, just that alone is worth so much. You know, it, it basically two healthy inside linebackers, both playing at a very high level. Um, it, it, cornerback was the, was the weak spot. And he, given the other talent around that, he really leveraged that other talent to minimize those corners weaknesses within his scheme. And, and it was a, it was a, legendary job it's one of the uh defensive coordinator uh seasons that'll be i think long remembered in terms of of uh, what was accomplished even though the ravens didn't win at all yeah if, if wink had this had this group of cornerbacks the ravens would be raking in the bottom of the league at pass defense again I, oh I, I stop it stop it you, you still need for wink hate at this point he was a great i'm not even i'm not even hating i'm just saying yeah. like the fact that you know he even like no matter what the talent level he had to it to at his uh, his disposal, he was going to kind of run his stuff no matter what. Whereas McDonald's like, I'm not going to put my guys in compromising positions. And that's why I feel like the biggest difference between those two guys were as far as how they approach the game. All right. All right. Well, fair enough. I think McDonald, or sorry, I think Wink was working with less. So I think that's where, that's where, uh, uh, you know, some of the unfairness comes from, but anyway, doesn't matter. Um, Geno Stone, 4.6 yards per target, 4.6 yards per target. That's barely higher than Hamilton. And Hamilton was, you know, unbelievably good at 4.2 a 50.8 opposing passer rating that's a hell of a couple of safeties there to go with marcus williams who didn't have a good year um but here's the big thing that for geno stone and this held him back i think from his from a potential pro bowl berth and also from a potential all pro berth although that was not going to happen by the end of the year but it definitely it probably kept him out of the pro bowl and and it kept him from being the defensive player of the month in october because he had four interceptions and they gave it to Quinnen Williams, I think, of the Jets. Yeah. I, th- I think that's who got it. Um, but anyway, uh, Gino uh, had a bunch of missed tackles, and they started in October. It, 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 a really great start to the season where he made his first 15 tackles, 
And yet he finished with a 21% missed tackle rate. And that's way too high for any position. But safeties, I mean, tackling's you know a big part of the job description in terms of what you have to do. You have to be the last line of defense. So, I'm sorry, he made his first 21 tackles of the season. And thereafter, his missed tackle rate was 36% for the rest of the season. Yeah, it's just it's, unbelievably high. <laughs> it's one thing if you're playing with the with the partially torn peck like Marcus Williams, but if you're if both your pecs are intact along with the rotator cuffs, you should be bringing guys down. And I feel like a lot of times when it came to Gino, he was kind of attacking guys a little too high, getting taken for rides or getting shrugged off, or like you know at that time maybe trying to live for the big hit but not necessarily wrapping up. Um, and uh, but yeah, that to, yeah to me that was. I still think he should have made the Pro Bowl over Mika Fitzpatrick. I mean, that guy barely played this year and, and made like next to no plays. But I'm saying the Pro Bowl is a popularity contest, so you know you don't got to talk about that. All right, well, fair enough. Uh, you know, with 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 Gino and the instincts and whatnot, I really hope he does get paid. I don't see a way that the Ravens bring him back, but he is the one player among their free agents I can't be entirely sure about. I'm I'm okay. I am. 90% sure they will not let 95 that they will not let Matabike walk without a tag. I don't think that will happen. Yeah. Even if they even if the potential fear of you know of, of being stuck with him on the tag, which could potentially be very bad for the Ravens. I think they they they'll try and try and get him. I think you know, on the other side of the spectrum, I think it's basically hundred percent that uh Patrick Queen wants more money than the Ravens should pay him. And I don't see any way they keep him. But Geno Stone is a player where he might fall into the Ravens' price range. So if he goes out and tests the market, and there's not a taker at nine million or maybe even at five and a half million AAV for say three years, that he might, you know, he and the Ravens might have a reunion, and he makes he's certifiably very valuable to the Baltimore Ravens if he can do the same thing he did this last year. Uh, and I think he's going to be valuable to somebody else too, but we'll see. I don't, I, you know, I, 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 as I said, I'm very unsure about what his market value is. Yeah. In a perfect world, the Ravens can agree to, uh, will agree to an extension with Matabike before they have to place a tag on him. Right. And then they still give Stone an opportunity to test his market. And if he, you know, like if, he, if he could get a comparable deal with the Ravens, I feel like he'd really want to stay here. I mean, he, he said as much, you know, I mean, as much as you can take that with a grain of salt, you know, a guy coming off an emotional loss. Uh, you know, the, in the championship game. But I really do feel like that this this year's unit, but especially on, on defense, this team was just so interconnected with, um with the, you know, how, how like their bond on and off the field and the way that they played with each other and in, 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 in harmony, especially in that back end. I feel like he wouldn't want to leave that um if it just meant making a few extra, extra million dollars if you're going to be set up for success and enjoy where you're going to be playing at and be set up, yeah, like I said, uh, for, for success as far as team-wise. Like, would you rather make two million more and go go play for a team that's not going to be a contention or, you know, like make a little bit less, be in contention and be in a place that you're already familiar with and that you know and that you love? Okay, so if you're if you're a player, most of the time your your answer might be different. Your answer there's some mercenaries out there who just play for the extra money every single time, and there's some others who who say, you know what, we like our house here. Let's just go with this. There's virtually no agent out there that's okay with the player taking less money. Uh, I, I'm sure there's that there is some guy out there who who basically is like, look, just be happy, do what you want to do. Uh, yeah, I only get five percent of this. Not that much of a difference to me, but uh, but you know, it is what it is. And I, I, I just think they're always kind of poking and prodding at the player to go for the money. You only get one chance. You only get one chance. You only get one chance. And 
there's that's why you see um you know I think a lot of players you know, they come back to the team they're on and they say hey look I'd love to say here just match this and they won't match it and they say you know we we can't match it but we can give you 3 million less over 4 years and they're either insulted by it or they just don't feel like they can give into it um and I don't know what other agencies are are talking to these people in terms of the NFLPA or other players just telling them you know what don't reduce my market value by taking a lesser offer here at safety for example yeah yeah and I feel like safety is a position that you know it's, it's starting to get more, more valued especially with teams like the Ravens having the kind of success that they had in 2023 but uh, well, over uh, for in large part it's still a, a depressed market and like you said you don't see guys making you know like making the, the, the big bucks although that although you got guys like Marcus Williams who are, who are making pretty top tier money now let's talk about Daryl Worley, kind of the wild card of this group. He played 11% of the snaps at safety during the regular season. His primary playing time was that 102-snap game against the Colts, when he played 76 on defense and 26 on special teams. His per-snap productivity is eye-popping. He had a, a team-low 2.9 yards per play um, on his 79 pass snaps. That's when he was in the game. The opponents only got 2.9 yards per play. When they threw it in, it was only six targets, 3.5 yards per target, 21 yards on, on six targets. That's not a lot to go on, obviously. I don't believe he missed a tackle this year, which is unusual, to say the least, in terms of, of a player. But it wasn't a, a whole lot of tackle attempts. Um, and, you know, if you look at how his season developed, it wasn't obvious that the move to safety was going to work. They started playing him there in camp. But then that first preseason game, he was just a man among boys, mm-hmm. you know, being MVP of that game. And I, I was happy to say that I predicted in advance that he was going to be the guy on the field that's going to win him the game in the second half. Yeah, I mean, he's one of those guys that like that, like that one thing, like, a, like, like an Anthony Levine, because Levine, Levine, you know, that had, had a, you know, he was with the Ravens for, for a long time. But one of those guys that can really kind of like, like – find their kind of niche in that defense. And even though it's a limited role, it's still a very effective role when they're on the field and still while being a, a, a special teams contributor, he's like kind of the poster child for like core special teams guy and defensive contributor. Like, you know, he, he's, he's the guy that you really, that you really want like, to kind of be like that, that, that glue on special teams, but also a nice rotational guy on, on defense. Yeah. And, he, and I think he meets the deep safety requirements for this team. I don't think you would use him as a dime back. So from that perspective, Chuck Clark is a. I think you, we talked about him obviously earlier. Mm-hmm. Is is a better option to be a fourth safety on the team? But I, I really, if you're going to play three safeties on a high percentage of plays, I don't want to ever have less than four safeties active on game day. That that would be my my and all yeah. four of them got to be able to play on the back end. All four of them. None. No, you can't have any. You know, basically line linebacker in safety clothing like Tony Jefferson, say, or or, or somebody mm-hmm. like that. You need guys like like Clark or Worley. Um, and if they had Clark, I mean, you may be able to dress five on game day if you make the commitment to Clark as a dime back. Uh, and, and Clark was the best dime back the Ravens have ever had in a single season. Now, four years ago, it's been a while, 2019. But but mm-hmm. still, you know. Most of what made him great as a dime back then, I think he probably still can still bring to the field. Um, what I'd be a little bit more worried about is is him not being able to play the back end as effectively after some of the injuries he's had. 
Yeah, and really that one that like that he did tear his Achilles or tore his ACL, but that was like the first major injury of his career. And given that it happened so early in his tenure with the Jets, you got to think that he's he's far enough removed from it from now that he'd be more than more than more than ready to go and fully recovered. Um, because usually when guys tear 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 ACLs or Achilles, you know, like in training camp or or like preseason stuff like that, it, it takes kind of like a year and a half to get all the way back. But the fact that he tore it so early in his tenure with the Jets, by the time the regular season starts, he's going to be a year and a half removed from it. So he's a guy that, like I said, he might just wait it out until training cap and then hop, hop on with somebody. He could be one of those, one of those, Eric, one of those Eric Acosta coops that they pick up in August. Yeah. Yeah. It would be, uh, it'd be terrific. Obviously. Uh, we had a little other playing time this year from, from a handful of guys, Adams, a guy who was uh, available as a older Free safety guys played the position a long time uh, for a number of teams, including the Bears. Uh, Houston Carson, uh, he's he <laughs> went from the Ravens, who played, he played one snap, played a fair amount in the preseason, played decently then, but then went to the Texans, and all of a sudden he's their starting strong safety. Yeah, he's the, he's the guy that got juked out by Jay Flowers on uh, on the, on that one play at a face full of turf. There you go. And then the last one, Jeremy Lucian, has been cut twice now by the Ravens. Uh, still kind of hopeful he'll be back. I I, I thought that, uh, you know, basically what he brought to the position from a cerebral perspective was good. And, and Lucian, kind of a guy who was a slower guy at Vanderbilt, a guy who ran not an impressive 40, which made him pretty much undraftable across the league, but a guy who I think has, um, if, if his route to success is probably playing at safety. And I think the Ravens have been, have been trying to work him in there, as I understand it, and, and be a guy who uh, would be cerebral and effective at knowing where he needs to be on a play-by-play basis. Probably a lot like Daryl Worley, honestly, in terms of, of uh, uh, you know, understanding things. So I think a lot of Worley's, you know, certainly has come from a lot of experience here. Lucien probably still learning the position in terms of of exactly what he needs to do play by play. Yeah, yeah. Lucien strikes me as the kind of developmental guy that the Ravens are going to kind of yo-yo with on their practice squad until they, you know, they either find a niche for him or he elevates his play, shows them enough in practice that they can trust him. They kind of take over that worthy their worthy role or some of the kind of supplemental role in the back end. Yeah, yeah, very much so. So anyway, it's you need you need those guys on the on the fringe of the roster there who are either going to be the fifth safety on the roster or the first safety not on the roster that's available for elevations, and uh, anyway, he's he's certainly I think uh, fits that role. But if the, he's most of the season, he was one of the only truly developmental players on the practice squad. They've re-signed a few of their guys, Trace Willing and Tayshawn Manning, and some others. Yes, linemen. Yeah, yeah, to to, to contracts, but. It's it's not a really deep group. It was a it was a group of very deep and six to eight year veterans who were basically there to win in 2023. You know, uh, Laquan Treadwell is a guy who he is not a a you're not betting on the future with Laquan Treadwell. You're betting on the now. Yeah. So, uh, all right. In terms of 2024 needs, what do you, what do you expect the Ravens to do? Um. Like that, the, the whole safety market, I feel like I wouldn't say there's a, there's a saturation, but like there's enough guys out there that you can't find your nice, solid veteran safety. They kind of, kind of like that pad the back end of, of, of that roster. Like said, you can bring back a guy like Daryl Worley, but there are also some other guys out there. Um, you know, it's like some older guys, some younger guys. I mean, if you look at, I'm, I got, I got that spot track pulled up and some of the free agents that they got heading. I mean, you're not going to get a guy like Chauncey Gardner Johnson. You know, he's still, he's still young, only 26 years old and, and um, it's still going to be a starter somewhere. So, 
saying with, with, with Jordan Whitehead. Um, but there are guys like a, like, like a Micah Hyde. He's more of a strong safety, so I wouldn't would necessarily have him. Like I said, Chuck Clark is going to be on that on there. You get guys like uh, Jerron Curse, who's had a nice little niche role with with the, with the Cowboys. And there there are veteran guys out there. A guy like Jalen Mills. You know, there there are a lot of a lot of guys out there who can fit those kind of niche roles in the in the back end of the defense as a depth as a depth piece or whatever. But I also feel like the the draft might be an avenue. Now that the Ravens aren't pigeonholed with only five picks this year, you know, like, like, like spending a day day two day three pick on on, on the safety of it's you know BPA plus you know a guy who can be coming and be a meaningful contributor for you. Uh, I wouldn't mind that route either. I think the Ravens could either go one of two. They could go either one of those routes or might even get both of those routes if they can get a vet men guy plus uh, a draft pick that they really like at the position. Yeah, the Ravens have had an incredible history of drafting safeties late and and also grooming UDA got UDFA guys. So I I would expect you know the guy they get at safety will be a six or a seven. And I th- they don't have a six currently. They do do have two sevens. Two sevens, yeah. Yeah, and and then they have the UDFA ranks, which is certainly a possibility. And it could be that a guy like you know Lucian is is a guy they want to groom, and it could be a guy like Adams that is a veteran that they bring in again, or uh, not necessarily him. You know, could could be Chuck Clark, uh, depending on how close to vet the vet men he'd be playing for this year. Uh, but they've got they've got multiple options. I don't think they're going to go to a mid range salary guy at safety yeah, unless it's Gina, unless it's Chino Stone. Where they had a three-year deal for nine million for Geno Stone, I think they might pull the trigger on that. Um, I don't think there's any way they they pull the trigger at um, one year for three and a half million for somebody, including Chuck Clark, uh, coming back to the Ravens or, or or somebody else of of a kind of a similar value, kind of meets their positional needs. Uh, I just think they they can't afford to be doing that with too many of the mid-range contracts right now. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm locked up in with you. And there are quite a few young safeties that are going to be hitting the open market that I feel like the Ravens are, aren't necessarily going to be interested in, unless it's somebody who has a somewhat depressed market or can be had for the for the vet men. I think they're I think the most likely route is, like you said, like late round pick, mid to late round pick. I said if, if there's a guy in the third round, I don't think they're going to spend one of their top two picks on them. If there's a guy in the third round or a guy in the fourth round that they really like at safety, I can see them pulling the trigger. But like you said, like they have such a rich, rich history of getting guys like Gino Stone and Chuck Clark and even Deshaun Elliott, I feel like they're, they if they're like they're more confident in their ability to find those diamonds in the roughs later on day three than, than most other teams are. So I feel like Vetman guy day three day three draft pick and you should be all set. Yeah, that's that's where I am. And uh, you know, you mentioned a, a third round draft pick. I would bet an awful lot of money that they will not use a th- any any day one or day two pick on a safety. I, I think you know what. Well, I can't even think of the circumstances that would have to conspire for that to occur. It'd have to be somebody who dropped in value so much mm-hmm. that the Ravens said we we couldn't take him. If it happened in round one, I still think they wouldn't because it, you know picking number thirty, they almost have to do it have to have to get the tackle they need. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just, I, I, yeah, long shot. Always a pleasure to talk football with you whenever I get the chance, Josh. We had a lot of chances to talk, I think, this offseason. One thing I want you to be thinking about, along with other people out there, is what non-star Raven that you remember fondly from the past and have a little discussion about that. We're going we're gonna to be having a once-there-was-a-player kind of series on that that'll be a little different from some some of the normal fare, a little different historically than, than we've done before where it's games or plays we're talking about. These are some, some players you like for whatever reason and uh, want to hear from you on that, by the way, folks. Josh, tell folks where they can read your work or talk football with you online. 
Yeah, you can talk football with me anytime on, on Twitter. I'm at Josh Reed 907 And then all my Ravens content can be found at BaltimoreBeatdown.com. I do work full-time for uh, uh, Acres Daily News up here in Anchorage, Alaska. But all my Ravens content can be found at Baltimore Beatdown. All right. Outstanding. Uh, other picks out there, you know how to hit me up. DMs are always open on Twitter. I'll get back to you very quickly. Whatever sh- your short idea. And if you have a player and you want to lock him in right now, go ahead and hit me up with that. And I'll, uh, I'd love to hear from you. Josh, thanks again for coming on. Thanks for having me, Ken. We'll talk to you next time on Film Study. credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for $2.49 a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.